So simultaneously, while he was going through the process of the trial and all that awful stuff, I was diagnosed with cancer. And then he went to prison and we were dealing with the after effects of my, my surgery and trying to raise kids. And my youngest daughter ended up with a massive infection in her skull and had to have emergency surgery. A couple of months later, my brother was in a serious car accident that put him in a coma and eventually killed him. My house flooded, my car got repossessed, I got gray hair, which doesn't seem like such a big deal looking back now. But at the time, it was just like, oh, yep, no happiness for you, none for you, you know. And so I found myself in a pretty terrible emotional place, just reeling from this nonstop wham, wham of, of life events. But that's not that's not sustainable, right? You have basically two choices in that situation. You can either give up. Thanks for stopping by the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast. I'm the host of the show, Sean Dustin. If this is your first time listening, welcome. If you're returning, welcome back. It's good to have you with us today. There are a couple of ways that you can help support the show, one of which is if you know somebody out there who would benefit from listening to the show or an episode in this show, send them over. I'd be happy to have them as listeners. Also, you can subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast platform. And if I'm currently not available on the platform you listen to, send me an email and I will try to get added to it. I have merchandise available now, hoodies, t-shirts, mugs, and other items. This is another way you can help support the show and the show will get a portion of the proceeds. You can find direct links to iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, merchandise, and anywhere else we are online at the bottom of the show notes. Go to the Linktree link and that will take you to all the ways to connect to the show. If you think you have a story for the show or an experience or something that you've been through that other people would benefit from hearing, go ahead and go to the Linktree link at the bottom of the show notes, hit the email tab, and uh, drop me a line. Tell me your story. And if I feel like it lines up with uh, the values of this show and podcast, I'll send you a scheduling link and we can go from there. In this episode, I am connecting with Sarah Radikin. I pronounced her name wrong, or uh, pronounced her last name wrong, in the uh, in the introduction uh, when the episode started. So, apologize for that. Uh, it's not Ratkin; it is Sarah Radikin. And Sarah is the chief happiness officer over at Happiness Is Courage Incorporated. As you can tell from the audio clip in the beginning, Sarah has had quite a uh, quite a journey, and there was a you know a span in her life where you know it, when it rains it pours, and we've probably all experienced some situations like that in our life. And uh, you know we talked to Sarah, and uh, she explained to us how she got through it. One thing that I want to uh, just put out there, you know, with all of the confusion and uh, anxiety and all of the things that are happening in our country right now and around the world, it is really important that uh, you be the stewards of your own destiny. Do your due diligence when it comes to seeking the truth, whatever that truth is. Um, You know, we have a lot of different uh, things that are playing out right now, and uh, it's really important that you not be sheeple. Don't allow media, don't allow your leaders, don't allow anybody to push you in a direction that fuels somebody else's agenda. Learn how to fact check, learn how to research, learn how to cross-reference different things so you can find the truth. Because there's a lot of disinformation out there. You know, I was thinking about things the other day and I was like, God, it's really difficult to tell what's real, what's not real, what's the truth, what's, what's not the truth. And it's overwhelming. It's very overwhelming and it's scary too, because you don't, you run around confused, not knowing, you know, what's right, what's, uh, what's wrong, what's up, what's down, what's right, what's left. You know, it's all, it's all pretty confusing right now. So, you know, my advice to you is unplug from mainstream media, 
find an independent source of of reporting and stick with that because all this other stuff is just designed to incite fear, drive a narrative or an agenda. And I and I'm not saying I know what's what's going on because I, I absolutely don't. I have no idea. It, it is so confusing what's happening right now. So just uh, try to find some sort of normalcy. So you know the anxiety and and the uncertainty of what's happening doesn't overcome you with fear and you know force you to make decisions based on on fear and and all that goes along with that. Anyways, without further ado, let's get to the show. So this is a Nowhere to Go But Up podcast, and I'm your host, Sean Dustin. And today we are talking with Sarah Raitkin. So Sarah, how are you? I'm great. How are you this morning, John? Uh, I'm doing all right. Uh, so I was reading in your uh, guest form that you filled out for me. Sorry about the late uh, the late response. I thought I had responded back to you yesterday, but I, I guess I, I skipped over you. You were in the middle of two other ones, so I, I think I just missed no you. No problem. Um, so you, your ex uh, went to prison as well, yeah? Yeah, it's a life-changing experience, huh? Yeah, I guess on both sides. <laughs> as, as somebody who's been to prison and, you know, somebody who has had to deal with loved one i don't know if it was a loved one at the time but uh somebody you know close to you going to prison so uh why don't you go ahead and explain or let everybody know who you are how we came to uh cross paths and uh what your message is uh today sure so my name is sarah radican and the way we cross paths was i i've developed this sort of platform of happiness is courage and this was born out of my experience. It was started with my experience when my children's father went to prison. And it's been almost 20 years now. So we didn't have a good um, internet community back then. We didn't really have a good anything community back then when it came to these sorts of experiences. And what I found was I was left with four kids under the age of 12, uh, in-laws who were nasty about the entire situation, neighbors who stopped talking to us. You know, there's the whole social pariah thing that comes with it. Never mind the crisis of just the experience, the whole experience of having somebody you love be arrested and then convicted and disappear from your life. So we uh, we really kind of were scrambling to come to grips with all of that. And I would be lying if I said that I was happy during that time of my life because I wasn't. I was anything but, right? And so... That was also not the only uh, gut punch that happened in that time frame. So simultaneously, while he was going through the process of the trial and all that awful stuff, I was diagnosed with cancer. And then he went to prison and we were dealing with the after effects of my, my surgery and trying to raise kids. And my youngest daughter ended up with a massive infection in her skull and had to have emergency surgery. A couple of months later, my brother was in a serious car accident that put him in a coma and eventually killed him. My house flooded. My car got repossessed. I got gray hair, which doesn't seem like such a big deal looking back now. But at the time, it was just like, oh, yep, no happiness for you. None for you. You know, and so I found myself in a pretty terrible emotional place, just reeling from this nonstop wham, wham of, of life events. But that's not that's not sustainable, right? You have basically two choices in that situation. You can either give up, and I didn't feel comfortable with that, given that I had four kids and I was really their only parent at that point. I wasn't willing to give up on them, and so I had to figure out how to move forward. And I had a therapist who told me, you laugh too much, right? She said, you laugh too much. And what I realized was I was using humor in an unhealthy way, but positivity actually, when you use it in a appropriate, authentic way can be incredibly healing. And by finding just a little thing, one single thing every day where you can be happy or grateful or just find a smidgen of joy, that was the magic that let me carry through to the next day because things will change, all right? Things will get better. Your situation will improve. You will find a path forward, but you have to hang on until that happens. And I called them my silver threads, right? Because people would say, 
find the silver lining. Like what silver lining is there in any of these situations? None, right? None. But can I find a little piece of something good and eventually create that positive experience? And yes, yes, you can. Humans are pretty resilient. You know, we, we, you know, can bend to damn near anything. Uh, unfortunately, I mean, it's not the, it's not the easiest, uh, easiest way to figure things out, but I mean, sometimes what else, what other choices do you have? And there's a lot of, there's a lot of wisdom and there's a lot of magic in, in, in struggle because it teaches you a lot about yourself. For the most part, we are very, as a species, we don't go through what our ancestors did. We don't have things trying to kill us. We're not in dangerous situations. We don't live in a third world country where there's a, a conflict area down the street where you're hearing bombs and all these other things going on, which does happen. Um, you know, so we're pretty sheltered, uh, in America. And so sometimes, you know, when you're not, when you're not put into situations and life is kind of easy, things are just, you're like, not that it's easy, but you don't experience a lot of hardships. You know, some people don't. And when you do, I think that that helps to shape a more refined, uh, more experienced, uh, more, um, just somebody who can, who has uh, grit. Absolutely. You know, common sense is built out of that as well. Well, and I think it's kind of like resilience is like a muscle, right? You can develop it over time. None of us, not none of us, very few of us go seeking super complicated trials and tribulations on purpose, though, to develop those skills. But I think if you take the opportunities when you have them, whether it's something radical like the current virus situation or a personal struggle like having somebody you love or yourself be sent to prison or, or a death in the family, whatever it is, whatever those hardships are, if you take those opportunities and process through them and then figure out what you can learn from that experience. And the next time, and there will be a next time, because like you said, the human condition kind of is filled with those spaces where there's some kind of a difficulty. Well, the next time you recognize that I survived the last one. I think I can find a way through this one. And I think that's where resilience really happens. How long were you married before your husband went to prison? 12 years. 12 years. So, I mean, you had 12 years of a life, uh, routine, uh, you know what I mean? Just kind of, you know, you look at the, the neighbor next door, you know, people are routine by nature. They come home at the same time. They do the same thing. They take their garbage out the same way. I mean, we're just, that's just how we're built. And you have this life kind of laid out for you, which you think is, is, you know, you're trying to, to build for the future. And then all of a sudden, that happens. I mean, that had to have been pretty devastating in itself. Not that cancer isn't, but I mean, you can figure out a way through. I don't know. Explain how, how, how was that? I think the biggest challenge with, with the prison thing, I use that as my catalyst moment in my life, honestly, because it's not my, that wasn't my first rodeo with hardship, right? I grew up in a pretty difficult environment. Um, I was former military. So hardship was not a stranger, but that was the challenge there with that particular experience was that cancer is socially acceptable. And there's a pretty good narrative around clawing your way out of poverty, right? There are, there are social social spaces that allow you to grow from those experiences, but having somebody arrested and you know, this though that experience is a social pariah environment. Like I was, it was the isolation that came with that. That was the hardest to deal with because play dates dried up. People would cross the street to avoid walking next to us on our way to school. Like we became a, a kind of the modern day version of the leper family. Nobody wanted to be anywhere near us. Like, they, like it was somehow contagious or something, the shame that was wrapped up in that experience. And I think that that's really, it was that, that crucible experience of I'm in this pressure cooker and, and there's no, no social support. There's no, there's no friend dates. There's no, no PTA meetings. There's nothing. And I had, I had just to figure it out by myself. Um, I think in today's world, now this is 20 years ago, in today's world, there are some pretty great resources out there for families who are experiencing this. There are Facebook groups or whatever. Um, but we didn't have that back then. And so it was really just a 
Get your teeth and figure out how to move forward opportunity. Yeah. It seems like that would be very isolating. Um, and I, what, what part of the country was this in? Texas. Texas. Oh, okay. Yeah. Texas. It's its own, it's its own country. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, it really would depend on, on where you're at. And so, I mean, did you like after this, I mean, I don't, I don't know what, how much you want to divulge about, you know, what the, if they're in charges or anything like that. But I mean, did you, did you question your, your own, uh, judgment? Like, (laughs) I mean, seriously, like that's That's a great question. Of course, of course. Right. I mean, so the charges were child molestation. So that was super exciting. So there was the, that extra added burden of, who, who was I married to? Did I make the right decision? Can I make decisions that are of any value? Um, and it, it's sort of this, this tumbling experience of if that decision was so terrible, what else have I made bad choices on? You know, not to mention trying the, the neuroscience of stress is interesting, right? So when you are under extreme duress, your higher thinking functions shut down. So you're trying to puzzle your way out of a really complicated situation without the benefit of that part of your thinking processes. So it's, it's like trying to untie a knot with one hand tied behind your back. It's, it's really difficult. Um, and yeah, it sucked, honestly, right? Like I had a therapist, but she was mostly interested in like talking about my childhood, which I, I wasn't ready to have that conversation. I was in crisis mode. So how do you, convince the professionals to give you the help that you need. Like you have to become, I found that I had to become my own best advocate, but not just for me, right? I had kids who were in crisis. I was trying to navigate the, that complex with the schools and, and losses of friendships and the relationships with their grandparents that were disintegrating because they were also in crisis. So it was just this sort of completely uh, patchwork of disaster that was, you, know, you had to start somewhere. You have to start somewhere. Otherwise you can't do anything. My dad always says you can't change the tire if it's still spinning. Yeah. That's, that's a good one. <laughs> I get stuck there all the time. Uh, I was just talking to a, uh, a guy that wrote a book, a psychologist that, that seems to be the theme of my, of my life is just start, you know what I mean? And that's, I think that's with everybody. You know, it, the, the process, we get lost in the process and, and never, and, and never start because sometimes the process just seems like it's so, it's so, uh, it's so hard. It's going to be so hard to, to get to that point. And so, and that, that can go, that can go for anything, you know? Sorry. Absolutely. I just, I just lost the train of thought. Well, I think that's a, that's true. And I think it also goes to uh, our cultural expectation that you're going to do it perfect. Right. And especially in today's world where everything is on Facebook or Instagram. And so you take 6 trillion snapshots of whatever it is before you let anybody see it. Um, I think that there is great value in the concept of just start it. Right. And it's okay not to know where the ending is going to, is going to wind up. But if you, if you never start it, you'll never, never accomplish anything. Yeah. And don't be afraid to start again. Absolutely. You, you know what I mean? And that's, that, that's a huge one because you, you don't just, I mean, you can start over every day, you know, and, and at some point you'll get to where you want to be. And, and you know what I mean? Because you're actively, you're actively taking part in knowing that you want to change something. So, you know, you'll fall a few times kids before they learn how to walk. How many times do they fall? You know, addicts. I know this is a huge, uh, 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 controversial subject in the, in the, in the recovery community, but, uh, uh, relapse being part of recovery, same concept. Mm-hmm. The only difference is, is that some of the substances that you get involved with, you may not come back. You may, it may kill you. And so that's the, there, there's the crux right there. You know what I mean? It's a, yes, it's part of it. But I mean, if you're a, if you're trying to quit pot, I mean, the likeliness is, is that, you know, if you keep relapsing, it's not going to kill you. At some point you'll stop it. Alcohol, maybe unless you get in drunk driving accident, then there goes that, you know, mushrooms won't, (laughs) it's hard to habitually use mushrooms. That's for sure. So, I mean, you know what I mean? It's just, it's the same thing. 
Yeah, and I think we have this we have this really interesting social narrative. So as a, I'm a positivity activist, right? My job title is chief happiness officer. I believe strongly in the power of positivity. Uh, I have a gratitude journal that I've published. I do coaching with clients who are looking to find more ways to find positive aspects of their life. And our, I think that the that you're you're right on the hit on the head when you say you can start again because people think, oh, I I failed because I'm not happy right now. Well, first of all, happiness cannot be a destination. It is not. You, nobody can live in that happy space all the time uh, unless they are maybe taking some kind of medication that shuts down their part of their brain or something like emotions exist as a as a way to tell us what's going on around us. They're a response to our environment. And it's OK to be sad about sad things. It's OK to be afraid of scary things. Um, I often explain happiness as more of a gauge, right? If you, if you feel happy, there's probably a good reason for that. Like you're all aligned with your values or you're doing the things that are leading towards your priorities or your goals, or you're accomplishing the things that you want to accomplish. And that happiness is the sign that you're doing the right stuff. But if, if you're not happy, it doesn't mean you failed. It just means it's a reason to look around and see what's going on and what do you need to change to get back on that path that you want to be on. And the same thing is true. I, I'm not a, I'm not an AODA counselor or whatever the current language is, right? But um, I have a couple of brothers who overdosed on heroin and died, right? Like, yes, um, drug addiction is a serious challenge. And I think a big part of it is that attempt to escape that sense of I'm not happy. When there's not, there should be, again, no shame in, in not feeling happy all the time. Like, we don't live in Stepford, right? That's not, our, that's not reality. Yeah. Yeah, there's a really good guy uh, that I listen to. His name is Johan Hari, and he has a very good uh, take on addiction. And not, you know, what the what the opposite of addiction is in his mind, in his philosophy, is connection. Mm-hmm. And so when you are connected with people, uh, and there was, the, you know, the, the here's, we'll, we'll take uh, uh, people coming back from Vietnam, the veterans, and they were, you know, in their environment, they had no connection. They were seeing horrible things. They were using heroin and opium to escape that reality that they were in and having to live. Uh, when they got back, not all of them were heroin addicts, but that's what everybody was afraid was going to happen. The government was afraid, oh, my God, we're going to bring back all of these heroin addict, drug addicted uh, soldiers. And only a small percentage of them uh came back addicted and, and had issues. Uh, their issues were other things like PTSD and, and, you know, uh, survivor's guilt and all these other things. But the other people, they just, there was no physical addiction. There was, you know, the withdrawal symptoms, they weren't present. None of that stuff that you see heroin addicts now dealing with, they didn't deal with none of that. And that's, that's really crazy. Uh, cause I've, I was addicted to opiate, uh, pills for about seven years. And, and this was after I got out of prison. So, I mean, and I'm was done with methamphetamine and, and all of that. And, uh, I ended up getting hooked on that and I, I got myself off of it uh, by myself. I didn't have to go. I mean, I'd already been through so many treatment centers and everything else. And this was at, while I'm, you know, I've already been doing well. And so I was able to like navigate my way out of it. The connection is the key. Yeah, and we see that the science behind the connection stuff is really strong, right? There's um, there's some interesting models around life satisfaction and work satisfaction. So I'm especially interested personally and professionally in the intersection of positivity and corporate outcomes. And what we see is that the, the two drivers of job satisfaction are really, do I see results in what I'm doing? Does what I do matter? And more importantly, do I have a connection with the people around me? Like, do I have solid, sustainable relationships that nurture me as I progress through my personal development? And it's true for everybody. I mean, babies die without connection. People who are elderly or critically ill die faster if they don't have strong connections to people around them. Humans are designed to have other people around us, and we need those relationships. And I think our our current culture, right, we talk about how um, connection is so important, and yet we are we are chronically disconnected. I think we're seeing that right now with people who are trapped in their houses, right? I mean, and it's for a very good reason, but having to scramble to find ways to substitute 
the ways they were connected in the past, right? Like things like Zoom meetings are very popular right now. We're seeing um, parking lot gatherings of people who are keeping social distance but still need to have connection with other people. It's a it's a basic human need. And if we if we don't fill it in healthy ways, we'll fill it in unhealthy ways. So we'll still meet the need. Um, but the, uh, there are better ways and not so great ways to do that. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, let's see, what else you got? I mean, you went through quite a bit of, of, of your story. So cancer, what, I mean, was, uh, how was, how was that? I mean, that's another, seriously, that's another thing. Great. That, <laughs> well, you've got some, you had some things in your, in your history that what, what's the psyche, like how the diagnosis, I mean, that, that had to have been, I mean, not, not even considering all the other things that, that were present and going on that in itself is a, is a whole, a whole nother ordeal. You know, it, it, it is, it's a fascinating intellectual study to look back on it now. I think in the moment it was, it was literally just one of a series of really crummy events. Um, and in some ways I'm actually kind of grateful that I was able to lump all of that garbage into one like 18 month time period, because I can't really imagine having one and then a couple of years and then something else horrible. I think that'd be a heck of a lot harder to come back from if I hadn't developed some kind of intestinal fortitude along the way. Um, cancer sucks, right? It's scary. It's isolating. And it caused all kinds of side issues. Uh, my youngest daughter was just a year old when, when I was diagnosed. And so I had to stop nursing her, which was a huge hit just psychologically. Um, it also made me feel like I was you know, I was worried. I was, am I going to die? I mean, it seems like lots of people do. I mean, it's a fact. Lots of people do die from cancer. And so now I'm facing potentially leaving my children who are already losing their father, leaving them alone. Right. And that was incredibly overwhelming and scary. Uh, I mean, I was fortunate they caught mine super early and I was able to recover completely from it, but it still, it still sends a shockwave through your life when you find something like that. And it gives, gives new meaning to the live in the moment experience. We, we spend a lot of time planning for the future. Like I'll be happy when, right. I'll be happy when I find a relationship. I'll be happy when I have children, I'll be ha whatever. You look at the future and you're pe pegging all of your happiness on those future experiences that may or may not ever happen. Um, and in the process, we miss so much good stuff that's happening right now. Can we not just pause and appreciate what's happening to us in our life right now? I think that's something that many of us, myself included, can do more of. You know, it's a beautiful day outside. I'm, like right now, I'm looking out the window and I'm watching the birds. And that's a beautiful opportunity to just appreciate nature. Yeah, Not that you don't plan for the future. You definitely want to have a 401k or whatever. You know, you make plans to meet your goals. You And you can reminisce about the past. You can say, oh, it was so cool when that thing happened. And there are, there's a lot of power in revisiting positive memories and re-triggering those good chemicals in the brain that come along with that. But if you're trapped in the cycle of only looking back or only hoping for the future, you're missing so much. And I think what I found was I had to live day by day anyway, because I had no idea what was going to happen through much of that time period. I kind of was dreading the next day because it seemed like the next day was just another chance for something bad to happen. So I narrowed my focus to, I'm just going to appreciate what I can in today's moment, find the good in that. And I think that's a really positive message. I think, um, I think it's helpful. And you also don't miss those moments. And people say, Oh, I missed my kid's first steps or I missed whatever. Well, I don't feel like I missed a whole lot of that because I was so focused on appreciating the good stuff that was happening. So I don't have a lot of regrets about that. And I, I'm grateful for that. That's good. Uh, what you're, what you're talking about is exactly where we're at right now. You know what I mean? It's we're being forced to uh, have to look at all of that. You know what I mean? And we are <laughs> yeah. just day by day right now. We, we don't know. I mean, we have a, we have a, at least for us, we have a date of May 3rd, um, which I don't see happening. Um, uh, I think it's going to go more out to like June, June, the beginning of June. Uh, you know, I found myself, um, like hidden EDD, you know what I mean? Or, uh, unemployment. Did, did my money go? Did my money drop yet? Did my money drop yet? Just looking at my finances and going, God, man. And, uh, but yeah, I just, you know, 
we get through it, you know, we get through it. It's just, I mean, you have no choice. Well, but the thing is you do have a choice, right? You can dwell on, oh, it's so scary and things are so terrible. Like I have a couple of friends who are practically glued to their news stream and they're just rehashing. Like there's, there's not a whole lot of news coming out right now, right? There's not a stuff. whole lot of, it's all the same stuff. It's just the same stuff repackaged with flashy breaking news headlines. It's triggering that fight or flight response in everybody's brain. So everybody's on super high alert all the time. It's causing adrenal fatigue. It's causing amygdala overload. Like people cannot help, they cannot in a healthy way function in that state of high alert for long periods of time. They're going to crash unless they figure out a way to manage it appropriately. So can you pause and just look out the window? Can you go for a walk safely? Can you, can you journal about positive things? Like, I don't, I don't really care what tactics people use, guided meditation, square breathing. There are a billion ways out there you can use to manage that if you're finding yourself stressed out about this situation or any situation. Stress is part of the human experience. And it exists for a reason, right? I mean, we, we survived as a species because we were able to identify risk and react appropriately. But I don't think what's happening right now is always the healthiest approach because people are keeping themselves wired all the time and trying to accomplish everything. Like I see parents who are trying to homeschool their kids and maintain their jobs and somehow maintain their relationships and be prepared for the next toilet paper run. And they're just, they're losing their minds because it's too much all at once. So have reasonable expectations of what you can accomplish and then breathe like you have to breathe once in a while yeah i don't i I don't i haven't stressed too hard on it i mean it 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 is what it is i mean it's i'm not this this isn't this isn't the hard part this is the easy part the hard part's going to be when everything starts back up again and the fallout from all of this right um that's when we're going to start seeing potential problems Well, I think people like us, Sean, I think what we really have, where we have a leg up on this is we have been through difficult experiences before. And so I just had this conversation with some colleagues who have never really dealt with um, significant challenges. Like they come from upper middle class families. They had a pretty easy ride through college, got a good job. Life has not thrown them a whole lot of curveballs. That's nice, right? So this is their first go around with ah, things that are really out of their control and are causing them stress. But you and I, we've been through this before, different, a different dance, but the same basic experience. And so we, like you said, we know we're going to get through it. We know there's going to be a path forward and that's, that's fine. I, I agree with you. And I think I'm more concerned about things like people carrying residual fear with them. I'm seeing people posting memes about, great. Now I never have to hug anybody ever again. Well, that's not healthy, right? Like, you know, of course, within boundaries and all that jazz, but you can't lock yourself in your house forever, not, not and sustain any kind of meaningful life. And so I'm hopeful that we'll have like a little bit of a transition period where people are still in that freaked out. And, you know, it's like when you're, when you fall off a horse, you're maybe afraid to get back on, but once you get back on your ride again, you realize it's not so awful. Yeah. Yeah. What's, what's interesting is that there's so many baby boomers out there right now that are in, in our, in our society, uh, you know, cause that's just that generation that there's, it's huge and they're having to learn how to do all of this, uh, technology stuff. You know, I was, I was lucky enough. I'm a, I'm a gen X. So I was, I know both worlds and was there before pre-internet and then after the internet. So you know, I'm, I'm not as savvy as some of these, uh, millennials, but I mean, I, I'm, I, I know how to figure out stuff. So I've been having to help my, uh, my mom quite a bit. <laughs> yeah. Although it's kind of cool, right? It's a great opportunity for like our, our millennials and our Gen Z's and our iGens, our, our younger generations to be the subject matter experts. And wow, how cool is that to be able to add value in a way that's truly life altering right now? I never thought about it that way. Yeah, because most of the time kids don't have much to offer to anything. But that's you, the assumption, right? Yeah, that, yeah, oh, yeah. Shut yeah, up, listen, right? Yeah, yeah. Bad, yeah. Go, go play, go play, go do, go. Yeah, adults are talking. Hair. Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> now it's hey, adults want to talk. How do I make this computer talky thing work? And they're like, oh, let me show you how to use whatever TikTok yeah. or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I was already at the point though where I was getting. I'm. 
I, I don't like to, I like conversating, man. I like conversation. I like phone conversations. I don't want, I don't like the text world of, you know, because you can't, there, there's so much lost in the translation in text. I mean, yeah. it's only, I think it's only meant to like one or two word, like questions or answers. You can't really use it to get into a, a serious conversation. Like if you're in an argument with a, a specific, uh, somebody, dude, that's the most frustrating thing in the world. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because neither one of you is, is, is getting what the actual emotion and feeling is. I guess if you can use emojis, that is kind <laughs> of the, that's the new world, uh, fix to that, you know, to the nuance of a conversation. Right. But I still, I, I'm not sold. I don't want to play that. I, and, and, Go ahead. Yeah. And I can't, when I don't have my glasses on, I can't see the emoji. It's too small. <laughs> So it's like I'm struggling, like, God dang it. <laughs> I need a bigger screen, right? Like this. Yeah. <laughs> a Gen X screen was like this. <laughs> I um I, I like technology and I like the tech um the text opportunity for communication for like quick stuff, right? I think it's super handy and I think it can be a way, way to catch somebody's attention and say, Hey, do you have a minute? or here's a quick thought. But you're absolutely right. And it's fascinating to me. We have decades of research on communication. We know that body language and tone of voice and all of that stuff plays way more into our understanding than the actual words being used. Not that the words don't matter. They do. But the other stuff is significantly larger when it comes to the decoding of the messages. And yet we have, as a society, sort of moved away into that into that space where you know it's going to be miscommunicated. Everybody I know who's had a text message or a email exchange that was about something complicated has had that, oh, I thought you were mad or excited and that you were something completely different. Because you're right, you cannot, you cannot assume anything about somebody's mood or intention from the flat word. Yeah, it's yeah. just not possible. And you're right. I mean, I use the winky emoji all the time to take the sting out of things, but it doesn't really do the same thing as, as like a, a shoulder shrug or something it, where our brains don't decipher it the same way. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. Uh, I, <laughs> I steer clear of that all the time. Uh, I, I just, it's like fast track to miscommunication, right? To mis- being misunderstood, which is counterintuitive when it's a communication method. Yeah. I mean, even now, like I'm, I'm trying. So my, my camera is right here and you're right down here. And I'm like, (laughs) and I'm like trying to train myself to, to look at the camera while you're talking. So people aren't seeing me stare down there, but I don't get, (laughs) I'm not getting your facial expressions. I'm not, I'm not picking up on those important cues in a, in a, in a, in a exchange, like knowing when you're done and, Oh, it's my turn. Or, or you said something that, you know what I mean? That it, it made me smile or, it's just a part of the dance. Yeah. You know, so. And it's a, like, I think this is a great um, shortcut tool for now, right? It's a temp- it's better than nothing, but it's yeah. certainly not the ideal state. And I don't want to give the assumption, give the impression that I'm opposed to using those tools in the, in the right space, but to give up, give up those in-person conversations, to give up the opportunity to put your hand on somebody's shoulder or whatever, any of that stuff. I'm not willing to, to let go of those tools. They're, they're excellent. They're excellent communication tools. I don't want to give those up. I think we're going to find ourselves in, and this is, this is going to be a good thing, but I don't know how we're going to, how we're going to be able to uh, sort of navigate it. Uh, But this is showing everybody that a, do we really need schools? If we can, if, (laughs) if, if we, if we can do it at home through the internet and B, do we really need to have corporations that are going to start saying, do we need really need to have these big ass buildings because we can just put everything on a server and maybe have, you know, one place where we come in and meet weekly or monthly, you know what I mean? Just to check in or you maybe even don't even need that as long as the work is getting done by somebody. And then, so that may tie into people are going to now start if they go with the, uh, the model of homeschooling now and do away with schools, which will make more room for housing or, or other things, you know, parks, parks. Right. Yeah. Well, we live in a capitalist society and, and you're going to have True. to, you're going to have to build the housing in order to have the, them build that park. 
you know, th- it's all, it's all tied into it. So I, I think we're, things are really, really, really gonna shift hard in, into a different type of uh, society. I think that is the beauty of experiences like this though, right? So just like my personal growth happened during my personal crises, our cultural growth can happen as a result of this cultural crisis. I think the challenge, and you articulated it beautifully, the challenge is that we do live in a capitalist society. And so I'm concerned that it'll be, how do we squeeze the most dollars out of this for the next reporting period? And Personally, I don't really care about that. Like, as long as everybody's meet, meeting their basic needs and paying their bills, I'm far more interested in quality of life for for people in professional and personal settings, right? And so, I think what I'm interested in seeing happen is, I know people who have homeschooled for decades. I mean, it's it's not a new phenomenon, and the the challenge with homeschooling has almost never been academic accomplishments. It's been how do you ensure that those children learn social skills when they're not exposed to social experiences? Now, homeschoolers accomplish that by having like group gatherings. They do, you know, um, field trips. They do social social experiences. They do gym classes as a cohort or co-op of some sort. I think corporations can do the same thing. I think you're going to see a need for the social interactions that is going to outweigh the output of whatever it is, the mission of the company is. So I agree with you. I think companies have beat the drama of your butt has to be in the seat for you to add value. And that's only really true if you're on a production line or if you're performing a service that has to be done in person. So I think that uh, old belief is being proven hundred percent false right now. And that's good because it's, it's garbage. Um, but what needs are going to go unmet if people sit in their living rooms? Well, we know we're seeing it happen now, right? Yeah, and I'm even yeah. hearing my introvert friends going, God, I could really use a hug right now. <laughs> <laughs> that is wow. funny. Interesting. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. It's, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out for sure. That's okay. I think, you know, things don't change because people want them to things change because they have to. And so, yeah. Things have not been perfect. They never will be. But maybe it's time for us to have some of these hard conversations as a as a group and come to some consensus on better ways to move forward and practice like uh, community living in relationships, community living in academic settings and corporate settings. I think all of those have a chance now to prune away the stuff that's not necessary or not a not a best practice or not even a good practice and put in place some healthier opportunities. Yeah, that that's a good way to put it, you know. And make some good out of it, right? What a, it would be a it would be a crime, I think, a, a shame to take this experience and not use it as an opportunity to make things better. I mean, we might as well get some get some good out of it. Otherwise, it's just a bad experience that leaves us all scarred and damaged. That's not that's not helpful. Yeah, I have my own thoughts on 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 that. Never never let a good crisis go to waste. They don't. <laughs> Well, right. I'm worried about some of that too. You know, they, they never do. And they're always one step ahead, but that's a different podcast. (laughs) The beauty of these kinds of conversations, right? Because people listen to these conversations and if they never see other ways of seeing this, they're going to assume that's just the way it's done. Right. And so, yeah, the corporations and the, the people who are interested in making a buck, like I'm seeing it now, right? Are you alone in your house? Buy this thing and you'll be happier. No, you won't. Right. No. You won't. Yeah. What will really drive that is making better connections and finding ways to fulfill whatever is unfulfilled in your life. So I, it's my hope that people will be listening to podcasts like this one and say, huh, I hadn't thought about that before. What can I do to make this experience make me into a better person? Yeah. I'm but- stuck home anyway. Let's try. You know, I'm, everybody I know is making sourdough bread right now. I'm like, okay, cool. Yeah, that you know? is cool because there's not not a lot of bread going around, you know. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't. I'm dreading going to the uh, to the grocery store because I have to go. Uh, I'm picking up my daughter tomorrow, and I have to. And then I'm I'm also we're gonna me and my ex are gonna hang out with her on Easter, so we're just gonna make an Easter dinner. And I mean, even though we're not together and there's no plans on getting back together, we're still trying to make it provide that. F- for my, for my, for my daughter and, uh, try to at least give her, uh, an idea or semblance of, of what, yeah, mom and dad may not be together, but this is still what, 
but we still care about you as a person. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, you know, we want. I think that's awesome. Uh, my my ex and I are actually really good friends at this point in our life, and it's been pretty a pretty big bonus in my life to have a co-parent. I mean, I'm remarried, and my current spouse is an excellent role model for my kids also, but kids can't have enough people that care about them. Yeah, yeah. God, that, that, that noise, I got to figure out how to get rid of that. Uh, notifications coming up and going... I mean, I can edit it out, but it would just be nice to not have to, not have to edit it out and it just not be there. <laughs> yeah. How, uh, uh, and so you've been, do- how long have you been doing this for? Um, I would say I've been doing the chief happiness officer thing for about a year and a half now. I actually went and got certified in Copenhagen last year. There was a formal program for certification, which I thought was pretty cool. It's a very popular approach in Europe. European countries have been really focused on well-being for people in the workplace, and happiness is a big part of that. And so uh, when I went to this training, there were 18 of us in my cohort, and I was the only person from America. Uh, There was one guy from Brazil, and everybody else was from, from European countries. But it's fascinating, and the science behind it is so powerful. I think American companies don't like to think about happiness as a core value. But the truth is, if they have happier employees, I don't mean like everybody's joking and giddy all the time, but if people have a sense of of contentment and and excitement about what they're doing, that's that's the happiness I look at, then they're going to do better. They're going to quit their jobs less often. They're going to do more while they're at work. They're going to be more engaged in what they're doing. They're going to not negatively influence people around them. Like the, the roller coaster of negativity is really damaging to corporate outcomes. So I found this stuff. I was actually researching a uh, paper on ethics in grad school, and I happened to run across a TED talk by Sean Aker about happiness. And I was like, oh, people are doing this? Like, this is a legitimate thing? I just thought you could be like happier at work. I didn't realize there was an actual movement. But the whole positive psychology movement is really the underpinning of a lot of the work that I do. Well, it's it's very true. And, and it, not only in, in corporate set uh, situations, but also I'm in the construction industry. So, I mean, that it, it goes there too. And, uh, being in that we, I mean, I'm in the Bay area, so we deal with a lot of Silicon Valley, uh, uh, upstarts, uh, you know, Amazon projects, Facebook, uh, deals, tech industry, uh, you know, and we're in the new construction end of it. So we see the elaborate lengths that they go to, to make these people happy at work, one is to keep them there and producing more. But another part is, is that they want their employees to feel like they don't have to go outside of here for anything. I mean, you, you want for nothing there. You want to go play ping pong. You want to go play pool. You want to go do this or do that. As long as you're, you know, getting your work done, it's just that mindset of happiness. A happy employee is a more productive employee. One that's not going to be willing to steal from you. One that won't be willing to uh, trade information for money. You know, so it breeds it breeds uh, loyalty. Well, if I mean, if companies want to think about it from a set from the purely financial perspective, right? And it's not just white collar jobs. It's it's effective in the blue collar space too, right? In construction, if people are more engaged with their work and they're not daydreaming about the weekend, they're less likely to get hurt on the job. They're less likely to go quit and work for a competitor. So you don't have the brain drain or the skill drain that happens in those spaces where where your your top sheetrock guy says, heck, tech with you, I'm out of here. Well, now you have a huge gap in your team. Like you lose all of that when your people are disgruntled. And so how do you keep people excited to be working where they are? And they're more likely to try new things and learn new skills too. So they might say, hey, I want to try, I mean, whatever it is. And that's all to the good for your organization. And it's good for your corporate reputation because you're now your you're, people are you're going to attract talent because you're a great place to work. I mean, everybody wants to work at Facebook. Everybody wants to work at Apple because of something that they offer, right? Yeah. I mean, or Zappos. Like there are these companies that just, they have such a strong reputation for being a great place to work. And it's not just because they have free snacks. It's because of the culture that they create yeah. that people are excited to be there. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like in construction, like you have no idea how far a meal, a free meal will go on a job site. They cater in, uh, you know, and it's just, and really what it boils down to is just you're, you're feeling like you, 
you're being appreciated. Matter, right? What you're yeah. doing matters. Like, organization. like yeah. you, like what I'm doing, I add enough value to what, what you're doing for you to recognize that and reward me with. It's an exchange, Absolutely. you know? I'm exchange. I'm exchanging my labor for your appreciation and 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 money uh, in wages, and you know you can you can get that in a number of different ways. But it goes to the relationship with the company and the employees too. I mean, if you feel like you're a valued part of the team and not just a replaceable cog, you're far more likely to be excited to be there too. And if you've got strong relationships with your with your working team, uh, like my brother works in construction up in Mendocino area. Yeah. And he says the same thing. I know he's also in a reggae band, so he's happy all the time. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but the truth is his team is super excited. They're, they're almost like a family themselves, his, his construction team. Like they, they know about each other's relationships. They know about who's having a kid or whose mom is sick. I mean, they, like they know all these things about each other because that matters. It makes you a human. You're a person to me, not just a payroll number. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> For sure. It's, uh, it will a lot of, a lot of good things, man. A lot of good, a lot of good topics here. Uh, I like this conversation what are you grateful for right now, Sean. I'm curious. What am I grateful for? Yeah. Um, I don't know. You know, that's one of the hardest questions that, that <laughs> I, I, I ever get, man. Cause I mean, there's a lot of things that I'm grateful for, man. I'm grateful for my daughter and my relationship with her. Um, and you know, the, my ability to, um, step back and kind of self-improve and, and continue to involve, evolve because a lot of people don't possess that ability. You know what I mean? They stay stuck in their situations and they're always looking outside of themselves for the problem. And, uh, I'm grateful that I'm, I'm, I have that ability to reflect and, and see my part in everything in order to, uh, be the best person that I can. But I mean, that's a selfish, I mean, that, that, that's within me. You know what I mean? Um, I'm grateful that, uh, I definitely am not in a situation where I'm stressed about money right now. Yeah. You know, uh, this would be a lot harder to go through if, if there was a financial stress, uh, element to it. Um, but not everybody's in my situation. So I definitely feel for what's going on out there. Uh, I'm grateful that I, I don't have that situation, but I'm, I'm trying to provide content that people can listen to and, and get outside of their own problems and, and hear other people's, uh, ways of getting through it, other people's problems, how they got through it. You know, I don't know if that answered your question. There's no right answer. It's, yeah. it's your gratitude, not mine. Yeah. I mean, and there's a lot, there's a lot of other things that I'm grateful for if I just actually sat down and thought about it. So something that's really interesting, and this is not my idea, but I promote it all the time is if you, if you find yourself in a situation where you're, the world seems like it's a dark, horrible place, start spending a couple minutes every day and just get like a, a jar or a cardboard box or a basket or something. And every day, write down a couple of things on a piece of paper. And it can be little stuff. Like, I, I'm grateful that I saw a cardinal outside my window. I'm grateful that I heard a cool song on the radio. It can be little stuff like that. Write those down, toss them in the basket, give it a couple of weeks, and watch that pile of good things grow. It's just a reminder that the world has way more positive stuff than you think it does. It's just we get trapped in that cycle of looking for danger all the time, looking for the bad, trying to prepare for the worst, and we forget the good stuff. And so if you have a visual reminder of that stuff, it's amazing. It's a great activity to do with your kids too. <laughs> Mr. Conspiracy over here. I'm always I'm always looking for the you know what I mean, the conspiracy and everything. So yeah, that 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 does sound like a good idea. You know, the funny thing is is that I talk to a lot of people, uh life coaches, uh financial coaches, um, you know, a lot of people in this personal development space. And so for me, I'll hear a lot of good information, but since I hear so much of it, it just kind of like goes in and goes out, you know. Yeah. And but I think more so lately, I've been uh actually listening more to the suggestions and like, we'll probably, I'm more than likely going to start implementing some of them, at least uh, something that that's not going to take too much time out of my, like that, that one's a simple one, you know, that you can do. It would be interesting to see how, how 
much did, how many how fast that jar gets filled. Well, the other thing is that's cool is when you start that practice, right? Then every day, you know, you have to sit down that night and write something down. So you're watching for that cool stuff. So you're training your brain to look for the positive in your world as well. So you're like, oh, hey, I saw that cool thing. I'm going to remember that for later. Yeah. And it's a way to hack your brain into having a little jolt of positivity. Well, and also awesome. staying in the moment because we, that's the hardest, th- that's the hardest thing that people have to do is, is trying to stay in the moment and not being so up here that you're missing everything around here, you know, hundred percent. being present. Isn't there a, isn't that what, uh, there's a religion based around being present. Isn't that what, uh, Buddhists do? Kind of. Yeah. There's, there are some mindful practices that come out of the Buddhist traditions or monks or whatever, whatever it is. Well, we are almost at an hour. So I awesome. I appreciate the time. Yeah, not a problem. Uh, go ahead and plug all your social media. Uh, I know you gave them to me, but just go ahead and, and plug them to the listeners out there who uh, may not venture down into the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> so the easiest way to find me is my website. I am at happinessiscourage.com. All right. Well, there you have it. All right, Sarah. Well, I appreciate your time and, you know, I like everything that you're doing and you actually got me to think about a couple of things too. Today's been a pretty enlightening day for me so far. Glad to hear that, Sean. Have a great rest of your day. All right. You too. Bye. Take care. Thank you for listening to the show. And thanks, Sarah. That was a great conversation. I really enjoyed connecting with you. And I really appreciate what you're out there trying to do. Happiness is definitely the key to a lot of things. You know, when we're not happy, we tend to uh, make bad decisions. We seek out things that aren't healthy for us and all of the things that go along with that. As always, you can find Sarah's information and all the ways to connect with her in the show notes as well as my own. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast platform. I'm putting together a challenge and that's going to be a uh, iTunes rate and review challenge. And the prize will be merchandise uh, for the show, uh, for my merchandise page. And all of that will uh, be available at some point uh, in my Facebook group. So if you want to head on over and to the link tree link, Go down to the very bottom, and it has my Facebook group tab. Go ahead and hit that and join the Facebook group. And within the next week, I'm going to post in there what the challenge, the rules, and and all of that uh, will entail. And I'm thinking about uh, pledging $200 to that. I need to base uh, boost my, my ratings and reviews in iTunes, so this is the way that uh, I've chosen to go about doing it. That way you don't feel like you're uh, doing something for nothing, and it's it's fun. So if you're already in the Facebook group, go ahead and uh, you're gonna you'll 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 see that post coming. And just remember, we are very much more alike than we are different. And in the next week, just practice looking for the similarities in people than than the differences, because we are way more alike than we are different in a lot of different ways. So with that being said, keep it 100, stay true to yourself, everything else is just noise. Uh-huh.